Black Cats Run Podcast. I'm Tristan Black Ingersoll. This is Black Cats Run. Today's episode, Make Me Fast. We're going to try to break down in the simplest possible terms in about 60 minutes, plus or minus, how to get fast. This could apply to swimming, cycling, running, speed skating, triathlon, duathlon, any discipline that is at its core and endurance sport. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can check us out on Instagram at Black Cats Run. We're also available for consultation. If you're wondering how you can apply these concepts to make your training more effective, and if you're enjoying the podcast or have questions or other topics you'd like to see us address, feel free to send us a message and let us know what you're thinking. Okay, time to get fast. Let's get into today's episode. Why do people want to be fast? I think that there's different motivations for this. To be honest, as a disclosure up front, I don't really have a ton of respect for people who exclusively exclusively are driven by kind of this like egocentric need to be superior um, or better than everybody else. And to disclose further, I am very cognizant of the fact that for me, that disposition or that view is influenced by the fact that, you know, I have experienced what the overwhelming majority of us will experience, which is that you'll get to a level where winning is not going to be something that happens for you. And if that's the only thing that matters and that's your reason to be fast, then I think that that becomes challenging and limiting ultimately. Because if you're not interested in exploring what you can do as an individual because you just want to see where that takes you, or if you're not interested in being in the race because it's exciting and stimulating and it's fun to just actually race and, and you know be in that game in that context of competition regardless of where you necessarily place at the line, but just to be there and be able to sort of do battle. Um, you know, if, it, if it's a performative endeavor, I think that that is probably the number one thing that will limit people. And I think those are the people who are most inclined to burn out and quit. And I think that's something that isn't really even resolvable by training because your expectations are inherently unsustainable. And I think we all start this stuff in some sort of a goldfish bowl level experience. And I know that, you know, right, the reality is if you take goldfish and you you chuck them in a pond or chuck them in a lake, they don't become bigger and bigger, right? If you throw a goldfish in an ocean, they won't turn into a whale, okay? But there's that popular notion of the idea that a goldfish only grows as big as its bowl. And, you know, the other way to think about that as a metaphor is to say that, you know, when we're in that fishbowl and we're that goldfish, you know, that's our sense of scale of significance. 
And I think as individual people in life, we look for meaning and a sense of purpose. And I think going out and uh, kicking other people's butt uh, in a race, in a competition, and doing that again and again is something that could make us feel superior and make us feel important. But that's really coming at the expense of other people's capacity to feel good about themselves. And we may not realize when we're in that position, but that, you know, our expectation and our sense of self becomes dependent on being better than other people. And I think not only is that fundamentally unhealthy for us as individuals, I think that's unhealthy for society, but I also think that it's going to ultimately stop us from getting as fast as we're capable of becoming because motivation, the desire to engage in this is the most essential thing. We're going to talk about training concepts and how we can apply training most effectively. And I will specifically outline in this next hour or so what I think the correct way to develop um, fitness and to get faster um, is. But if we don't have the right, I don't know if you want to call that psychology or ideology or philosophy or ethos, disposition, purpose, sense of intentfulness, um, meaningfulness, maybe it's some combination of those, maybe it's all of those put together to form some milieu of why do we do the things that we do. But if you don't have the right alignment there, you're not going to get to where you want to get. Because when you continue to pursue this stuff, you're going to get to a level where you're not going to win anymore. You know, and I think that people then don't have the right coping mechanisms to handle with that, uh, handle the kind of adversities that come with that, I should say, more specifically, and that that's going to drive us off the process that actually makes us fast. So wanting to be better than other people because we need that to feel um, valid as people ourselves, that's going to prevent you from getting fast because it's going to prevent you from really engaging in this. And we do see people who kind of ride that process over time of, you know, I'm superior, you know, I'm the best. And, you know, through happenstance, um, not through, you know, individual genius, but through happenstance, they, you know, a long time may pass before they kindly come, finally come to grips with people who are, you know, just better than them. You know, whether that's through experience, whether that's through innate ability, uh, whether that's through intelligence and planning and problem solving, um, I think that it doesn't really matter because you're going to go to the starting line and you're going to get your clock cleaned. And if all that mattered to you is being the best, and when that's taken away from you, you know, what do you have to stand on? Nothing. So, the first thing that we need to understand when we're trying to get fast is we need to say, well, why do we want to do that? And, you know, to reiterate one more time, my perspective on this is 100% influenced by the experience of being somebody who doesn't win and doesn't, you know, finish first or doesn't run the incredible time or do the ultimate watts. And, you know, I think that this distributive hierarchy of um, who is superior to one another based on this stuff, I think is a pretty short fuse in terms of, you know, 
what that's going to lead to, right? You're going to burn to the point of collapse or implosion pretty fast on that. Um, and really, it's not even looking for a longer fuse. So maybe that's not a great metaphor to think about here, but we're looking for something sustainable. And, you know, I think that for me, what I find motivating about this stuff and what allows me to continue to pursue it is because I like how it feels when I get to be competent and that my competence is very much relative to myself. The feeling of going fast, of doing work, I don't even need to see the watch to know what I'm doing. I don't need to see the power. I can tell that I'm performing at a really high level for me, something that oftentimes would be very challenging or maybe even completely inaccessible. But now I'm accessing this level of work and it feels good. And to me, that is validating. And like seeking that out, that sense of competence is meaningful to me. And to me, I think that that's an extension of some sort of sense of self-esteem and self-actualization tying together. I also think it's flow psychology where you know, my level of skill is rising to meet this level of challenge. And those are the kinds of experiences that motivate me to continue to do this stuff again and again over long periods of time, because that's what's I find to be uh, something that's rewarding and is specific to me. You know, and I can go out and I can do that on my own without any tangible reference, without posting anything to Strava. And, you know, these are feelings and experiences as an athlete that I discovered and, you know, started encountering, you know, well before, you know, there was any kind of use of GPS watches or, you know, you were using, you know, the cat eye cycling uh, odometers um, and, you know, nobody really knew what you were doing um, unless you went around and, and told them or unless you went to a race. And, you know, um, I've never been of the disposition to try to aggressively self-promote partly because I don't really feel that I really have anything, you know, worth self-promoting to the point where people would be really interested, um, you know, because I'm not doing atypical performances, which is the thing that, you know, right or wrong, that we're most fascinated by um, in these sports. So that feeling for me is what grounds me and, and keeps me engaged and that, you know, it's an up and down process that, you know, you can go fast and uh, you can go slow and you can go in between and that there are going to be people who are going to be significantly better than you and there are going to be people who might be significantly slower than you because maybe they're newer, they have less experience or that's just how the cookie crumbles, right? We're not all going to finish at the same place in the same time. And I think that you need to have a space and a domain in your thinking where you're doing this for yourself, where, you know, if you went out and you ripped on a run or you ripped a ride or you, you killed it in the pool or whatever else you're pursuing, that that needs to be fulfilling and meaningful to you. And if it if you kind of have that, if a tree falls in a forest, doesn't does it even make a sound disposition? If that's where your your psyche is on this stuff, I think that you're, you're going to have a really hard time sustaining engagement. Because then it's it's dependent on others, and this is a you know individual endurance sports are ultimately an individual pursuit, no matter how much and how significant the team dynamics of competition are. You know, like cycling, winning stage races, especially Grand Tours, is very much a team driven competition. However, 
if you don't have that internal space to be like, I do this for me because of the way I get to engage with my sense of self, and it doesn't matter if anybody else perceives that. Then you can have this other space where you can also say, here, I like the competition. I like trying to win. I like playing the game. And and the purpose of the game is to win or to place as well as possible. And I think when you have that, though, that personal internal space, then that's going to be really powerful in allowing us to get fast because that's the source of genuine motivation and engagement. Um, Because if we're exclusively dependent on the perception of others, then we're going to be um, inherently vulnerable. And that's probably maybe a bit of a truism outside of the context of just doing athletics. But, you know, you're going to, in life, say things, perceive things, um, you know, have things that you express, and people are going to disagree or they're not going to understand. And I think that's okay, you know. If you can ask yourself the question, um, am I doing anything, you know, harmful or hurtful, or, neg- or, you know, um, negative in the sense that I'm trying to bring down other people's experiences through the things that I'm thinking and saying? And the answer is no. Um, well, and then if people still disagree with you, then it's like, well, we're going to agree to disagree, but I don't have to take on your dissatisfaction with that, right? And no, so for me, um, I don't always run the great times. Um, I don't always, you know, do the best rides, you know, and internally, sometimes I do struggle even, you know, by and large, I would say I've moved past this, but there are periodically times where like when I did, you know, some of these long distance gravel, you know, races in, in the past couple of years now, um, you know, there've been times when I've been out there and I've been like, I just feel that my level of competence should be so much better than that, you know, in terms of what is my average speed and, you know, I would like to think I could do better than that, but then recognizing that, well, I'm out here, like I'm kind of, I'm, this is the level of challenge and I'm, that I can handle and I'm applying my skill to the greatest possible extent and engaging with that. And that keeps me motivated. And then, you know, over time, either that will or that won't lead me to get to the point where I can create these sort of objective, you know, externally validated levels of performance or not. But if your only frame of reference is other people and the perceptions of other people, you're not going to get there. Okay. Um, You know, and maybe the perceptions of other people, you know, are something that matters more or less. Um, You know, it should depend on who those people or persons are and that there will always be people who who think you're stupid um, or that you're wrong and whatever. And, And to me, that's another part of the fun of doing this stuff is that we have the autonomy to try different things and do things in different ways. And from this point of, you know, understanding, I want to now talk about um, if we've oriented ourselves and we have a combination of things that are internally rewarding, meaningful, and that make this stuff work worth engaging with because how, how it makes us feel, then it's also going to be possible to try to think about how we can get fast. So you could do this on a piece of paper or you could just kind of do it conceptually and kind of in your mind's eye. But what I would recommend is taking a piece of paper and somewhere on that piece of paper, just drawing a line, doesn't really matter, maybe like an inch long. And then drawing a second line either um, above it or to the right of it, but parallel to it. Okay. And the first line 
label that line A. And the second line, label that line B. And then draw an arrow from the first line to the second line. And that's basically what the goal of getting fast is, right? When we talk about getting fast, what does that mean? That means moving from a current capacity A to a new capacity B. So let's think about these two lines. Um, we're going to think about this as like a 10,000 meter run, okay? And, you know, when we use examples of running this or cycling this, it, these things apply, right? These things are ubiquitous, but it's easier to talk about them if you have kind of a specific applied exemplar. So 10,000 meters, right? Let's say that at state A, we run 10,000 meters and it takes us 40 minutes, okay? And then in state B, that takes us 30 minutes, okay? But currently, we can only run 40 minutes, but we want to get to run 30 minutes. And if you're a runner and you're knowledgeable about running, you recognize right away that there's a huge difference um, in terms of performance, meaning of being able to do 40 minutes versus 30 minutes. And so let's just sort of throw some watts on there just for fun um, to try to kind of give like a better grasp of what that differential might mean if you're like a cyclist. Okay, and I'm not saying these is, this is the actual mathematical difference in watts between these, but I think subjectively representing kind of like the magnitude of change there. So maybe for 40 minutes, 10K, maybe we have to do 200 watts of work. Um, we have to produce 200 watts of force for 40 minutes. And if we do that at the end of those 40 minutes, we'll have completed 10,000 meters of running. And if we want to complete that same distance, 10,000 meters of running in 30 minutes, maybe we have to do 400 watts, right? So when you think about in that sense, right, although you might be improving by 10 minutes, maybe you're doing, you know, what actually might be double the amount of work measured in watts, okay? Now, the other thing that's happening here as we are, look at the differences between A and B is if we can, all, if our current level of performance, and if you really like this idea and you want to go out and test it, you know, go to the local track or, you know, map out a loop that is 10,000 meters, uh, 6.25 miles, and go out and run that, okay, uh, and see what you can do, all right? And then go out and try to go 10 minutes faster than whatever you did. And if you ran that first one, if you ran that as fast as you could, okay, and then you try to go out the next day or the next week and try to do that 10 minutes faster, you're not going to be able to do that, all right? Um, if, if you are able to go 10 minutes faster um, within one day to seven days after your first attempt, then you just didn't, the objective reality is you didn't go as fast as you could the first time because you're not just going to take 10 minutes off uh, like that if you're really expressing at your true physical fitness at the moment in time. So the reason why you can't go faster is let's say you have a watch, uh, a GPS, and it's telling you how fast you're going, right? And so you can look at that and you can say, okay, I need to strike out at this, this new speed, right to to run 30 minutes and you know you're going to find that very very quickly you're going to get exhausted so if you're running 10,000 meters in 40 minutes and I always live in perpetual fear that I'm um, going to do math in my head and then embarrass myself so I'm full disclosure I'm using a calculator here so hopefully uh, I'm that's going to save me from 
embarrassment. But if you have 40 minutes, okay, and you want to divide that into 10 parts, okay, so let's just write 40 divided by 10. That's going to obviously mean that four minutes a kilometer, okay, right? So, okay, we don't need the calculator to do that, right? But we want to convert this to miles per hour. So to do that, we're going to say four kilometers, right? So if we divide that into five parts um, for 200-meter segments for 1,000 meters, um, we're going to go divide it by five, and then we're going to multiply that by eight, and then we're going to minus the minutes, and we're going to multiply by 60. So that's 624 pace, right? So there I needed a calculator. Some of you probably maybe can do that in your head. Bully for you. Um, 30 minutes, okay? Well, if we divide that also, okay, that's going to be three minutes per kilometer, right? So easy math, you know, right? I, I think people like me were meant for the metric system. But say la vie. Um, so we want to convert that. So we're going to do the same thing here. Divide 3 by 5 to break it down to 200. Multiply by 8 to get to the mile. Okay, minus 4 times 60. Okay, that's 4.48 pace per mile, right? So I think it would be unlikely um, if you go out and your best 10K effort uh, is, is 6.24 pace. It's possible that you might you'll probably make it somewhere between 300 to meters to maybe 1200 meters okay i would say somewhere in there all right so in terms of like time scale okay you'll be talking about maybe uh 72 seconds or a minute and 12 seconds all right you know up to about three times that right which would be uh, three minutes and 36 seconds, okay? So you progress to that, right? And you try to do that additional step, okay? You can't, right? You can't go from 40 minutes to 30 minutes. Now, if you know running well, you know that the number of people who can run 40 minutes, huge. The number of people who can run 30 minutes for 10K, which basically means that you know, if you lean at the line, the line you're going to run uh, 29 minutes, 59.99. Um, the number of people who can basically run under 30 minutes for 10,000 meters, very, very small number by comparison, all right? So why is that so challenging, okay? Well, one easy explanation is to say that we don't all have the same capacity to do things. And I think on some level there's truth to that. I mean, it certainly seems, at least in an express sense, that we don't all demonstrate that same expressed uh, capacity to do things. That's certainly true. But it's also the reality that very few of us are actually maximizing what we can do in terms of our level of preparation. Now, our goal here isn't to try to explain or to claim that we have the uh, formula for running 30 minutes for 10,000 meters. And I think that's a part of um, what's difficult here. Okay, so... But if you have an idea that I want to run 30 minutes for 10,000 meters, um, I think that's going to be something that becomes really important. Because now you have tapping into what we talked about leading this episode of something that's like internally significant to you, right? That you've decided that that's a goal that is meaningful to you. And what this means is that we need to be able to apply training, right? That we know that by doing certain things in practice, we're going to be able to 
hold that pace now, right, which is 72 seconds per 400, okay, or 36 seconds per 200, we know that we're going to be able to hold that pace for longer and longer periods of time, okay? And the amount of time that it will take us to develop that is going to be dependent on what's our motivation, right? What's our meaning, right? And to me, motivation isn't, you know, get up and grind. Um, To me, motivation is, again, this idea of I'm doing this because it's a thing that I find internally rewarding and meaningful to try to accomplish or to try to work towards. I think additionally, we can recognize that when we talk about um, the concept of being better than other people, that if your reference is to be better than other people, that's just kind of arbitrary, right? So it's harder to organize training around that as a concept because, like, what does that really mean, right? That's totally uh, contextual to the fishbowl that you're in. But the reason why we can't just go out and, you know, apply a greater level of willpower Um, is because like if you try to go out and run 36 seconds per 200 and you try to just do that, um, you know, what is that 50 times in a row, okay, without rest, which is going to get you to your 10,000 meters um, in 30 minutes, like it's just not going to work, right? You're not going to get very far if you can currently do 40 minutes, right? Because the reality is if you really could run 30 minutes, you would have just gone out there and done that the first time. Right? Why would you go and make a maximum effort that's 10 minutes slower right? on a scale of 30 minutes to 40 minutes? That just is irrational to think that it would work like that. So the perceptual difficulty starts to skyrocket very, very quickly. Okay, And so that's this thing that we have to try to engage with or try to problem solve or troubleshoot. Now, we could think here about kind of like the idea that of fatigue, right? And that's what's your idea of fatigue becomes important. Do you think of this as the central governor theory, that when you work um, above what your body it can currently do comfortably, that your brain starts to become apprehensive or anxious, if you will, and starts to kind of send out these pain signals um, and then increasingly like make trigger these physiological changes that slow you down? Uh, Do you think that it's just muscular force, that when you use the muscle to produce a force that it's not practiced with, that it's not familiar with, that eventually it just breaks down? Is it a metabolic thing that you don't have the right energy structures in place to generate the energy needed to do that work? Is it a central nervous system issue? Is it a combination of these? Is it all of these? Is it all of these plus things outside of this? Is it things outside of this list and none of these things? Okay, those are the factors that ultimately we're kind of working against, because when you go out and you run 10,000 meters in 30 minutes, or when you go out and you, as a cyclist, let's pick something that we might think of as being unrelated. If you're a cyclist, if you go out and you do a criterium and, you know, that where before you could you couldn't keep up, but now you're sprinting for the line in the top five places, right? Well, that's happening because you have changed what is challenging for you. So we go faster because we make a level of work progressively easier. And so that's what we're trying to do with training is we would be trying to, right, using this exemplar, we would be trying trying to create the 36 second per 200 speed. We'd be trying to create that velocity and make that easier. 
because the work, it's not the work that we do alone that is fatiguing. If the amount of work was proportionally fatiguing, then we wouldn't have these disparities, these significant disparities in individual performance, okay? Or the only thing that would matter would be, you know, body weight. Um, and that's obviously not the case because you can't predict uh, people's athletic ability or athletic performance just by thinking about something like body weight. And, you know, we'll post this as a visual um, either before or shortly after we post this episode. But if you think about this, you could look at it in terms of a power curve um, or you could look at it in terms of just like comparing running distances. So probably the most standardized, familiar running races are 100 meters, 200 meters, 400, 800, 1500, 3000 meters, uh, 5000, 10,000 then you go to like half marathon and then like marathon distance, okay? And for each of these distances, right, the duration starts to increase. And as the duration increases, the intensity, the amount of worker force that is being applied is going to decrease too. So if you go down, as you go down to shorter and shorter distances, you're able to do more and more work. And that's really because not the distance, it's because of the duration, okay? Because in order to go faster over a given distance, okay, you have to be able to cover that distance in less time. So the other aspect that we're talking about here is that as we go faster, right, we're also doing work for less amounts of time. However, we also know it's the case that, you know, people who can run a marathon at five-minute pace, five minutes a mile, Okay, at some point in their life, okay, we didn't, wherever that was, yeah, at some point in their life, um, they could not run a mile in under five minutes. Okay, and for some people, that might have they might have been a high school aged athlete before they could run the mile in under five minutes, and then they end up becoming five, sub five minute or five minute pace marathoners. Or it could have been in middle school or elementary school, maybe they ran a sub five minute mile. But there's always a point at which people couldn't do something, okay? So one of the factors is that as individuals, we just exhibit different responses to stimulus. So the idea of training is to create a stimulus, and then what that stimulus does is it leads to an adaptation. And as a result of that adaptation, we are able to get faster. So if you're basically trying to train and get faster, Okay, what we're trying to do is we're trying to move through four basic phases. The first phase is capacity. The second phase is endurance. The third phase is ceiling. And the fourth phase is trade-offs. Now, some athletes get stuck at certain phases because I think that the reality is, regardless of what model of periodization um, you're using or whatever training ideas in terms of specific sessions you're using, you have to progress through these four phases. And we're going to explore what those are in a moment. But before uh, we do that, let's talk about what specifically does it look like to adapt to training stress or training stimulus. Because if we don't understand that concept, then we cannot also understand what does it look like to adapt or improve in response to stress. So 
we apply a training load, okay? And that training load is going to be difficult. And it's difficult, and then we can also describe that as something that's hard because it would be easier in terms of the energy demand to not do it, okay? So something that's hard is hard because in terms of energy demand, it would be easier to simply not do it. And when we apply that training load, okay, that training load could be running three miles a day, okay? Simple concept. It could be riding a bike for one hour a day, right? Another simple concept, okay? When we apply that training load, it demands energy. And as a reflection of that, our need to rest, okay? And rest really means sleeping or like sitting down and not using your legs because you've been using them for that physical activity of training. And your need to replace that energy by eating, that is going to increase, It is easier to not do that. The reason why it is easier to not do that is because it would be less energy demanding or we could say it differently, it would be more energy efficient to not apply that training, okay? The body doesn't want to use energy if it doesn't need to. Evolutionary biology, right? It doesn't, the goal is not to use energy um, unless we need to use it. So when you're using your training, you're causing the body to use energy, And you're using energy to complete the work, the physical task of the training activity or regimen that you are pursuing, that you're applying. And then you're also using energy to change your body because on an epigenetic level, right, the DNA is going to respond to these perceptions of stress by making physiological changes. And as we apply a constant level of training, over time, the stress or the demand of that training will go down. And at a certain point, it will essentially become normal, where if you stopped doing that training, you actually might feel worse and not better, where going out and doing that activity might be a part of you having energy. And that would be where you could say, in simple terms, that you've adapted to that stress. And as you start to find yourself adapting to a stress, and it's becoming easier and easier, well, then that opens the possibility to add additional stress. So you could go from running three miles a day to running three and a half miles a day or four miles a day or alternating between three miles and four mile runs every other day. And now you're adding more stress. You're going to demand more energy. You're going to experience more fatigue. It's harder to do that. It would be easier to just do what you'd already been doing. That's why we can say in simple possible terms and excuse me, in the simplest possible terms that training is hard. Right. So we do that and then we get better. And that's what training is. Okay. You know, I think the Bowerman thing is, you know, you uh, stress, recover, improve, you know, any idiot should be able to do it. Uh, You know, that's probably true in a certain sense. But I think a, a better articulation of what's going on is that you're applying stress and then you're resting so that you can actually apply more stress again frequently and that then your body is adapting and responding to that okay and so this idea that well you know recovery you know or improvement happens when you're recovering I don't think that's true Um, I don't think that the body has these breaker switches that it's flipping on and off okay I think that as you're applying that and as your body has that perception that there's that stress environment 
Okay, there's going to be some sort of a um, level of reaction, and you want to keep the body reacting like that. Continue to make those epigenetic expressions that are necessary to do that. Okay, um, and that brings us to our second concept that applies across these things, which is uh, overload. Okay, and I think this is a term that is used in different contexts, and I think uh, exercise physiology and, and training uh, in general has a lot of you know overlapping language. So let's talk about what we mean when we say overload. Okay, so overload means not that we need to personally feel overloaded to the point of like critical exhaustion and failure. Overload means that we need to instead try to like get to the point where our body is perceiving that, okay, it's beyond the level of the infrastructure we currently have to be energy efficient in this environment. And that's why high intensity training, I believe, can exhibit these benefits um, that you can get with more extensive, quote unquote, lower intensity training, because, you know, you're overloading that capacity, right? And so then the body wants to do things efficiently, right? Now, the way people think about this stuff is they like to think commonly about the VO2 max concept, um, but the VO2 max concept, there's some evidence out there that suggests it's a fallacy, um, you know, such as the fact that more than half of people who do that don't actually exhibit that uh, plateau uh, marker that is supposed to indicate the VO2 max has been measured or attained. Um, you know, certainly, you know, it, in theory, right, there are these ceilings, um, but the idea that those ceilings are really what are limiting us, I think, is a bit of a misnomer. So the purpose of overload isn't to go out and, you know, overload at that point of that ceiling, but it's to, you know, say, what can I do right now? And how can I go a little bit beyond what's easy to the point where I'm challenging myself, but that I can keep coming back and challenging myself with frequency? Okay. Um, and and that's where, where training becomes effective. Okay. So that's what overload is. Now, worth acknowledging that there probably is also some truth to the phrase, you can't turn a donkey into a racehorse. Okay, most of us aren't going to be able to train to run a sub two hour marathon. All right, that's just probably unlikely. Okay, so, you know, there are limits to what we can do. But I don't necessarily think the limit is that, okay, VO2 max is the reason why we can't all run whatever, you know, for such and such distance. Okay. I think that the, dis- the differences are probably more nuanced than just like not as understood scientifically. So having kind of laid that stuff out, all right, let's go back to those four things that we listed earlier. Capacity, endurance, ceilings, and trade-offs. So the first thing that you need to do in your training is you need to develop your capacity. And capacity I'm defining as working up to where you can do an hour every day with proficiency and that you're not getting increasingly tired over the course of days or weeks trying to maintain that. So the way you do that is you don't go out. If you want to begin training and you want to get faster, you need to be able to do more and more training, okay? Because that's more practice, and that's also more pressure on the system to adapt. I think one of the benefits of exercising 
two times a day is you could say, well, that's also adding more signal to the body to adapt, right? You're, you're putting more pressure on that epigenetic process, right? Because you're, you're showing or you're creating that environmental condition of adaptation. Um, so it's not about how many miles per week. It's about doing as much as you can, right? Now, you might hit a ceiling in terms of your schedule or the time that you're willing to commit. Well, that's a reality of training, right? That could maybe be the reason why you're not going to run 30 minutes for 10K or you're not going to progress from 40 minutes to 30 minutes, okay? And there are other people who will run 30 minutes for 10K and won't seem to need to spend as much time, okay? That's just the way it is. It doesn't, there's no moral uh, fundamentals to this, all right? People's bodies respond differently. They have different levels of adaptation in response to training stress. People respond differently to stress in all different contexts, right? This is a universal truth about humans um, and their environments that not everybody responds equally to the same kinds of stress. But everybody has to move through these same processes, okay? And some people like to say, well, the goal is to get as fast as possible doing as little as possible. Um, and and then I think I would say in response to that, no. The goal is to go as fast as possible, right? And to do what is possible for us to get to that point. So this first phase, capacity, we want to get to where we can do 60 minutes. And the way we do that is not by going out and just starting to do 60 minutes, okay? You have to be able to identify and this is subjective, okay? I can't tell you on this podcast episode what this is for you. And I think that's one of those sorts of things where we like want to know definitively. But you have the capacity as an individual to recognize this, okay? Go to what's comfortable, do a little bit more, and then stop before you can't do it proficiently anymore. So that might be five minutes of running. It might be 30 minutes of running, Some people might be able to go right to an hour, depending on what they're doing. You can only progress as fast as you can progress. The, you know, these rules about how much mileage you can add per week, those are made up. They're not Newtonian laws of of physics, okay? These aren't absolutes of the universe. You can progress as fast as you can progress. So if your level of fatigue um, in from training, right, your need to sleep, your need to eat, if that is something that you can't keep up with, um, if your body is getting hurt, um, if you are losing interest in going out to doing that stuff again the next day, then that means you're exceeding the level of where your current level of proficiency is. So you want to train up to but below that. Now, one concept, physiological concept you can use is the idea of lactate threshold. Um, If you have access to that or want to use that, that would be useful here because you could get a sense of, okay, how hard should I be working? But it won't necessarily tell you how much you should be doing because the amount that you need to do to do will change. And this is what you're doing here is you're applying overload by going, you know, what's easy. So if one lap around the track is easy and when you finish the second lap, you're like, I'm tired, then you stop. You've now done enough to create that overload to where your body's saying, oh, I've overloaded. We've overloaded what we can currently do. We need to add a little bit to this system. And you do that, and then you progress at that level. And you never want more than that, just that last little bit 
to be challenging and you always want to be shutting that down. You know, make deposits, not withdrawals. And as you progress through that, okay, you will get to the point where you can do an hour. And once you can run for an hour every day or you can ride for an hour every day, but for the riding for an hour and every day, it means you'd be pedaling continuously for an hour. It's very easy to ride for an hour and not actually do physical exercise the whole time because you can coast and, and go downhill. So, you know, if you're doing it on a trainer, um, you know, trainers are kind of neat because you could argue they're more a more time-efficient way uh, of training on the bike and that people, a lot of people who spend 15, 20, 25, 30 hours a week on a bike, um, you know, if you actually looked at, well, how much time are you actually spending pedaling? And then I think you also have to offset even more to where, you know, the interspersion, uh, might be mispronouncing that, but the interspersed nature of, um, you know, work where you're like breaking up the time you're pedaling with time you're not pedaling, you know, also lowers the value of that. But you need to be able to do about 60 minutes. And I think that's a good rule of thumb, right? Emphasis on rule of thumb, um, which means that this is a like subjective recommendation. It's not like some supposed to be some empirical absolute, but I think 60 minutes is a good rule of thumb because you get to that point and, you know, now you're at the level where, you know, you're really having to be, you know, comfortable and aerobic if you're, that's something you're going to be doing day in and day out. If you have, you know, sessions that are five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and especially if you're not doing them every day, it's easy to constantly go out and, and crush yourself. And you don't actually get better um, at endurance sport by going out and smashing yourself uh, in your training sessions. That doesn't actually work. So once you've moved through capacity, you can run for 60 minutes every day. Now we want to work on endurance. And I think for most people, if you've done this stuff uh, in the past or you're an active athlete, you're probably well past the point of capacity, right? So you've developed your capacity to basically run, right? Or you can basically run, you can basically ride. That's not the issue. So then I think for the next step of endurance, I think this is where most people are stuck. And that's because I think most people are going to this idea of, okay, like now that I, I can run or now that I can ride, I need to go out. And basically the more time I can spend uh, in our 10,000 meter example, the more time that I can spend practicing running 72 second 400s or running 236 seconds, um, the more I do that, then the more likely it will be that I can run uh, 10,000 meters in that time. Well, I don't think that's true. I think that you get to the point where running a 36 um, is no longer going to be an issue of speed and where you can run 36 seconds basically as comfortably as you can. Um, and it feels mindless and automatic, okay? But you're not actually uh, efficient at that. And by efficient, we mean that you'll still fatigue very quickly. You know, you might improve from being able to do that for for like 400 meters to maybe now you can do it for a mile, but you know, okay, great. You're doing it for four minutes and 48 seconds out of 30 minutes. Like you're really not in all intents and purposes, you're not really any closer to being able to actually do your 10,000 meters in 30 minutes. So with endurance, and I think this is where there's an interesting intersection with how people are trying to apply LT1 and, you know, LT2 and these kinds of lactate threshold concepts. Uh, for endurance, it's not just going long, slow distance. It's trying to now modulate what you're doing 
where you're having days where you're now, okay, 60 minutes is easy, so now I want to seek this additional overload. Okay, a specific example would be um, on Sunday I did 17-mile run, and then I did uh, 4 by 10 minutes at my lactate threshold on the trainer on the bike. Okay, and that totaled about four hours of exercise. Now, that's not something I can do every day. The next day I went out and I ran very slowly on the flattest road I could find for an hour, and then I rode very easily on the trainer for an hour, right? And then, you know, I go back, um, and then I can start to do something a little bit more demanding again. But what's demanding here is it's looking at it from an endurance perspective, We're trying to do different kinds of things to challenge our endurance. People are really creative about what they do to challenge their ability to, you know, run at efforts well over lactate threshold, all kinds of different ideas. But endurance, people aren't creative, especially like runners just default to the, oh, yeah, I do like this long run. The limiting factor is your endurance, because if you go back to that speed pyramid or the power curve, you can do way more power than you can. Okay, um, do right. And uh, Lionel Sanders was talking after doing the Super League about how, well, when I go a little bit over what I can do again and again, it gets really hard really quickly. And I think that that's basically the experience. And so the goal isn't to try to like, you can't really go like further than what you're able to do proficiently, right? So to raise your level of proficiency, you need to raise your level of stamina or your endurance. And Stamina maybe is even a better word to think about here because stamina is the ability to take a fixed tempo and sustain that, whereas endurance is the ability to just keep going for a long time regardless of that effort. So what we're looking at here is endurance overload. You want to do days and you want to do this as frequently as you can. And as frequently as you can means what's actually manageable and possible where you're not downward spiraling from like cumulative exhaustion and you just can't sleep enough and you can't eat enough and you're just getting dead and then you're just like taking days off or getting injured. That's not what you can do. Just because you can do something once or twice doesn't mean that's what you can actually do um, and sustain kind of in an indefinite timescale, at least indefinite in terms of, you know, the timescale of training. And you want to hit these things periodically um, where you're doing, where you're overloading the endurance. And you don't want to exceed that kind of lactate threshold type state because if you work really hard and you do really intensive training, you can't spend very much time training. And as a consequence, you won't get that endurance overload and you might be able to you know, improve what you can do for sprints or that you know, really high end of your power curve. You, know, you might see some bumps there, but in aggregate, you're not really going to get any better. Okay, because overall, what we see is that people who have improvements at the sprint end of that running race pyramid of intensity, or people who have improvements in power at the really high end short duration fear phase of that power curve, that that those improvements aren't equaling, you know, the great um, longer duration efforts. Okay, so I think that just goes back to the fact that they're endurance efforts. And this is something that I think most people don't want to put a lot of time and energy into because they don't think it's that valuable. But this is where you want to invest. Okay, work on the endurance, 
you know, build up what you can do. If you can, you know, if in the capacity phase, you have the established ability to run for an hour, established ability to run for two hours and then make it three hours, you know, ride, make that two hours, make that three hours, make that four hours, make that five hours on the bike. You can just go a lot longer than you can running because the body doesn't fatigue in the same way, probably because you don't have that plyometric, um, launching an impact that happens with running, right? The, the bike is load bearing. Um, it's like with swimming, you just don't really fatigue in the same way that you do with running training. So, but your that concept is there, right? You're now extending what you can do. And then you also are doing stamina in right within that. Okay. Of like stamina of lactate threshold. And a mistake people make is they test the lactate threshold and then they only train at lactate threshold. You know, I would advise against that. I would recommend trying to say, okay, lactate threshold is telling me what that proximal feeling of development is. Now, when I do, if I wake up in the morning and I do a four by 2K run at lactate threshold with 145 rest, I can come back in the afternoon and I can do 60 to 80 minutes of continuous lactate threshold work and keep my lactate under I might do 255 watts and I might do 85 minutes and you know in the after the first 10 minutes that's 1.6 and at the end it's 1.8 and that's the millimoles of, of lactate okay that's my lactate level on Sunday when I did the 17 mile run and then I do the four by 10 minutes and those are at 240 watts uh, so objectively a significantly easier effort you know I can feel that it's harder my legs are working harder. And at the end of that, my lactate is 2.4, and that's the significant difference for me, right? So that's a that's overload, right? I'm achieving overload. I'm not going to failure, right? But if I started working much harder, it would get worse. I couldn't go out, and I would have, a, or I would really struggle, and it would be excessive to go out and do 80 minutes at 255 watts, okay? And the numbers, by the way. Um, you know, everybody has different numbers for this stuff, and there's different factors that influence that. But, you know, because your numbers might be different numbers, whether that's higher or lower, it's completely irrelevant, right? It's completely irrelevant. The point is, you know, what are you doing relative to you? The value of a power meter uh, for cyclists is, and if you're using like a stride pod, the value of power is to try to give you a tool to help you control your effort. Um, and, you know, to try to make sure you're not going over that state. But I think proficient athletes genuinely can learn. Um, and I don't think that being a proficient athlete is exclusive. I think most of us, all of us can become proficient athletes, but we can learn to do that. And so this endurance development, right, our stamina is what we want to be working on. Because what we do find is that if your stamina is improving, right? And if we say maybe lactate threshold is one way to measure that, if our stamina is improving, we're going to get faster, okay? So then we have that endurance process. We're frequently trying to do endurance overload, and we're doing that through a combination of the length of what we're doing, and we're also trying to use lactate threshold as a concept to try to, like, figure out what's that proximal development, okay? And that we're, you know, mixing up it through the challenge of time and the challenge of intensity, but we're trying to do as much time as we can and then challenge the intensity within that time. You know, and so then as you, you know, go, you would want to be like once you can run for two hours to two and a half hours, you know, you keep doing that run, 
um, whether it's a fixed loop or whether it's doing different loops but just running for time, you keep doing that run and you keep looking to be at that state. And over time, the pace that you can do, or if you're riding for watts, the watts that you can do should change. Don't rely too much on the heart rate. I have found that um, it, it's a ballpark, but if you're really trying to like dial into it, you've got to listen to how you think about how you feel. Think about your breathing. Stay below the level of muscular burn. You know, if you push into it, pull back just a little bit. And you can pull back more, too. It's not bad to pull back more. Um, But if you're really looking to challenge yourself, you can do that. Do up to, but stay below that point at which you start to feel the muscles really engage and start to fatigue. Then you can go to step three, which is engaging with the concepts of ceilings. And I don't think that thinking about VO2 max is useful, but I think you can look at the ceiling of, okay, you know, how fast can I run a 200 smoothly? Okay, so maybe you can only run 34 and, you know, feel smooth and relaxed at 34, right? Well, then you can go and you can work on that tempo, right? But don't do it as these extensive, you know, I got to hold 34 until I'm almost going to fall on my face and then I'm going to take you know, six minutes rest, and I'm going to do that three more times. You can do that, I suppose. Uh, People do, but I don't think that's valuable uh, because you're just breaking down Um, and you're going to create so much muscular fatigue, you're not going to be able to train with frequency. And we know that to practice to get better at things is to do things frequently. So identifying that higher level of like, what can I do, you know, and then working on that for 30 seconds, Okay, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, 40 seconds, something that's really brief and just doing that again and again and again and again. And, you know, do it 50 times. You know, I I genuinely think you'd be better off doing 50 200s, um, you know, with a 100 meter walk in between than tanking yourself trying to run 800s or thousands or something um, at, you know, your 30 minute 10K pace and just tying up. Okay. And when you do that, you know, you run those 200s fast. Okay. But you're never going to that point of failure. You can do a ton of practice. And what's that you're going to find is that's going to start to contribute to your efficiency. But that's only working because of the stuff you've done before that. You have the endurance. And that endurance, I think, number one is relevant because it's certainly helping to facilitate your ability to um, do this stuff. Uh, sustainably, right, to do this kind of work because, you know, the endurance means you're going to be more resistant to fatigue. But I also think it's the case that as you're doing this kind of stuff that it's, you know, synchronous to that, right? It's another way in a sense of actually kind of challenging that endurance system, right, by looking at that from a stamina perspective. And then you can take those, say, if you're doing 200s or what, you know, and for different people of different proficiencies you maybe you can do longer intervals and feel under control all right but i think for raising your ceiling you really want to work on running or riding that's at you know faster you know greater velocity than what you think you're going to need to do you know in your race now cyclists i know that we sometimes might feel like well the efforts of cycling are so variable yeah but you want to still rope as much of that time in the race into the easiest state possible. You want to do as much of that in that endurance state or within that stamina state or get it as close to or get it under that lactate threshold as possible. 
and and that's what happens. Like, why can people do the stuff they do in the tour? Um, well, you know, other people can, you know, barely ride twenty miles at sixteen miles an hour. Well, it's because it's indicative of how through endurance training we can take things that we couldn't that once were a sprint and then make them a marathon. You know, like the five minute miler who now can run five minute pace for a marathon. And people act like, well, that's ridiculous. But again, everybody has at some point these people none of the at some point these people couldn't break five minutes for the mile. That's just a fact. Okay. Um it's not like they, you know, were born and then when the second they learned how to walk, they were able to run a mile in under five minutes, right? You had to at some point that developed in some way. And different strokes for different folks, right? But the principle is there. And so with that ceilings concept, right? That's how you're what you're really doing. And when people talk about like speed work or stuff like that, um, this is one of those big kind of like weirdly false positives. Um, is if you just cut to this speed work, to this ceiling thing, you don't get better. It doesn't work on its own. Um, it works through that endurance mechanism. And I think one of the simple things to think about as to why that's the case, as for endurance to work, like with our ceilings, um, like we have to be able to have lots of practice, right? And then that concept applies to everything, right? Um, because Doing those 200, like if you can't do, uh, you know, the 200s um, with ease, so 50 200s might sound ridiculous, but a 10,000 meters uh, is going to be uh, 25 400s. So 50 200s um, and 50 by 200 uh, meters reps, well, that's equal equals to 10,000. So if you can do 50 200s, um, at 33, then, you know, that's going to really improve your capacity to then try to pull back to 36 and say, can I now run 50 of these but not take any rest? Okay. Whereas if you only ever work at race pace, you're not going to get any better. And this is the problem with uh, VO2 max and that kind of bull crap is that it's like not actually specific to the performance. So I do believe and see the value in doing specific things, but they should be specific to performance, okay, right, working on some actual target, okay, and there's there's different ways to do that, you know, if you're a bike racer, um, if you just go out and do road races, you're going to work on a lot of those specific things that are specific to performance, because you'll be out there doing performance, and you just sort of understand that, okay, I'm not, like, depending on my ability level relative to the competition, I'm not necessarily just going to win every single race under the sun, Okay, and then the fourth thing that we talk about here is trade-offs, and I think the goal as an athlete is maybe to get to this point, and trade-offs basically means, to my mind, that you're at the point as an athlete where you're having to decide uh, as you're training from, you know, day to day, week to week, year to year, whatever scale you want to think about, but you're having to decide what am I going to do with my training today, right? What's the most valuable use of my time? So if you take those 50 200s again, right? And you're doing 50 by 200, um, but you can't actually do 50. Maybe you're getting to 35 and you're just like too dead, right? Well, you know, then that means that you don't have the endurance and you need to go and you need to work on endurance more. Okay. Now in a perfect world, you would figure out how to kind of like get your endurance fully to where it needs to be relative to the 
uh, demands of winning your target competition and then have the time to, okay, I'm going to, I can do 5,200s, but I can only do them in 38, right? But I have 10 weeks and I'm just going to do this once a week, or I can even do it twice a week or whatever, depending on, you know, how fit you are, right? The fitter you are, the more frequently you can do the kinds of things that will lead to greater levels of fitness. And you can practice that frequently. And over those 10 weeks, maybe you walk that down and, you know, you're kind of working at that capacity of what is my threshold of proximal development with these 200s. Okay, I'm coming down now to 33s, right, at the end of that period. And now I'm ready to go out and run that 10K um, in under, <coughs> excuse me, to run that 10K in 30 minutes or just under 30 minutes. And, you know, frankly, for any people out there who are looking to improve in the 10K, you know, I'm guessing that you're not going out and running 50 by 200. Well, you should, okay? Because if you can't, if you can't break down the distance and go faster, you know, per rep than the race distance, you're not going to be efficient. And going out and grinding these reps, you know, at race pace or, you know, maybe a little bit under race pace isn't really going to be what's going to raise your proficiency. If you want 36 to feel easy, then you need to make 33 feel easy because really you're not running 36. Really, you're running 30 minutes for 10,000 meters. So if you can't run 33 for 200 meters comfortably, you're probably not going to be able to, you know, just slow down by three seconds from 33 to 36 and then suddenly do that for 10,000 meters, you know, and if you can get that beyond 33, so much the better. But that's that fourth level of trade-off is trying to recognize, okay, what's the most valuable for me right now? So to get fast, okay, we have to develop our ability to just be active in that discipline. And I think that means training to the point where we can be active for 60 minutes every day. And if you're just doing one discipline, it would be 60 minutes every day in that discipline. If you're trying to do multiple disciplines, the reality is you're probably going to have to spend more time if you want to really get good at it, because like you just, you know, the diversity of those things means, yes, there's a common overlap in, in the way that your body, you know, does work and uses its energy. But then there's also specific nuance to how that's those different um, disciplines function, right? And you need to engage those disciplines. And then second thing is once you can do that stuff with proficiency, you can actually go out and be active in that athletic discipline every day for a meaningful amount of time. Then you have to work on your endurance, which is gradually trying to do more and more, right? Exceeding what you can do over an hour. And it's sort of taking that same capacity concept and and building up. Um, I can pretty quickly go from not doing long runs to doing long runs, but that's because I have a training history. And, you know, even when I, if I get hurt or something and I, I'm sort of like backing away from things or whatever, for whatever reasons, I'm never so far away in my training history that I can't try to get back into that stuff. And, you know, for me, the limiting factor is usually how fast I can go. And so that's like, for me, working on my stamina, which is what I'm really thinking about right now. And then once you have a high level of stamina, or once you get to a certain distance from a season of competition, you know, then it's worth saying, okay, you know, what can I do with my ceilings here? Now, if you, the reality is, and this is the core limiter, 
if your endurance didn't develop enough, you're just screwed. Okay, that's just how it is. You can't raise, you can't use the ceilings and engage with that in order to improve that stuff. Okay, so, and then you get to the point where, okay, then you have to be assessing and saying, where am I at right now? Okay, I can run, again, circling back to this, I can run 35 200s, um, but I get to 35 reps and I'm toast. It's okay, well, you know, you got to be able to do 50 or else you just don't, you aren't demonstrating the kind of like stamina specific to the, more specific to the race demand that you need to execute the race, okay? So you say, okay, we got to go back and we got to do more endurance work. And then, you know, we do that endurance and okay, here's what we can do right now. Here's what our stamina profile looks like right now. What do we think we need to get to in order to be able to do these 50 200s? Um, because you're not going to develop that as, effect- as effectively just by just continuing to try to do it and try and try and try. At a certain point, you're going to get stuck. And, you know, if we're going to break this down in as simple as possible way, going back to the 40 minutes to 30 minutes, okay, I think people can run less than an hour a day. And, you know, there are plenty of folks who can do that and can do 200 watts for 40 minutes without exercising every, every day. People who can run uh, 40 minutes for a 10K without exercising every day. So if we want to say in the simplest possible way, how do we get fast? Step one, exercise for 60 minutes every day until it feels easy to do so. Easy to do so. Uh, Step three, develop your endurance. Take that schedule of 60 minutes a day, one day, two or three days a week. Do more than 60 minutes and increase that until you can do at least two hours on those three days, okay? And that doesn't have, that wouldn't necessarily be in a row, right? So you have some 60-minute days, and you have days that are closer to two hours. And then when you can do that, then you go and you say, okay, let me see what I can do with my ceiling, all right? Then you would go and you'd say, okay, I'm going to take 200s, I'm going to do 50 200s. How fast did I do those? Okay, right? Now you just keep going out and do those, and you don't force it, you go to that state of what feels like it's kind of at that uh, threshold, that that boundary of what you are proficient at doing right now, and the pace should come down. And then at a certain point, the pace is going to stop coming down, and you're going to realize you're stuck. And then you need to evaluate, and you need to say, okay, is this good enough to do the race? One way to do it is go out and try it, right? Well, okay, go out run 10,000 meters. What can you do? All right, where am I at? Okay, I ran... 35 minutes, all right? I'm, I'm halfway there. Okay, then you go in and you have to decide, what do I want to use for my time? What is my trade-off going to be? Do I want to keep working on these 200s? Do I think that's what's going to be helpful? Or do I need to go back and work on endurance more? Okay, but as an athlete, you're always trying to stay in that state where you are looking to say, okay, what is the most effective thing I should be doing right now? What's limiting me? And in a metaphorical sense, I think this kind of reflects the essential tug of war uh, in competition, the tug of war between speed uh, versus endurance, um, which is that if you're trying to win a race, you can somebody can go out as fast as they can and hope that they stay away, and then somebody else can hang back, hang back and hope that they catch back up, right? That's the tortoise and the hare concept. And ultimately though right what we really want to be doing for ourselves is we want to be thinking about 
I want to go out really fast, but be able to maintain it the whole way, right? We don't want to have those two things. And we circle back to the beginning of this episode. Again, why is it so important to be internally oriented and then to add whatever our competitive or comparative uh, ambitions are to that or on top of that? Well, because I think that if you are only ever comparing yourselves to other people, you're going to be stuck in that tortoise or the hare state. And what we want to do is when we're oriented towards ourself and we have tangible things that we want to do that are something that we can always measure just relative to ourself, it becomes easier to recognize how is our fitness progressing? How do we want to balance and manage this stuff? And then ultimately, when you're doing it in that way, you're going to be able to push back the point at which that fatigue occurs. And I would argue that you know one of the things you would see over time is you would see an increase in uh, you know that lactate threshold curve where the curve would go up, the lactate would accumulate at a significantly higher amount of work than the point in which it accumulated before. And that's an improvement in fitness. And that's the utility of a measurement like that. And when people are training and they're a slave to the, well, I'm just training at LT1 or LT2, and it's not really working. Well, that's not going to work because that's not training. Okay, people have been using and identifying that intensity for a long time. And so that's what we're, we've tried to outline here in today's episode, which is this idea of you're progressing through, right, these kind of phases of what you're able to do as an athlete, and you want to get to the point where you understand that it's a puzzle, and you're looking to figure out, you know, what are the different pieces I need to be um, looking for putting into place at any given time. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you've enjoyed this episode or you have other questions about this or other topics that you'd like to see discussed on the pod, send us a message and let us know. We're also available for consultation. You can send us a message to inquire about that as well. Follow us on Instagram at Black Cats Run, and we'll catch you next time.